This week on Millennial. I kind of wish you hopped on the Zoom this morning and you were just like totally decked out in emo gear, like dark black, jet black hair. Really like and deep like... side swoop bangs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think I'd be holding on to my costume from 48 <laughs> hours ago? Yeah, it looked like the Joker or something. Laura's like, my culture is not your costume. I know. <laughs> my brother does the same thing. And I always used to give him shit. I was like, why do you write so weird? (laughs) Yeah, my teachers would too. And then like to this day, I'm still insecure when I write like this because I know it's not how you're supposed to hold a pen. Who cares? (laughs) Well, when you're getting made fun of, you too. Yeah. (laughs) This is why I became a computer nerd. I was like, I'll show them. I won't even use a pen or pencil. (laughs) They'll see. They'll all see. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend marinated chicken recipes and real NyQuil usages. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. What the fuck, Andrew? What is that? Laura is clearly not up on today's news. The FDA has warned that NyQuil marinated chicken is dangerous because there is a new TikTok trend in which people are encouraging others to cook their chicken in NyQuil cold and flu. Why? It's called sleepy chicken, and <laughs> it helps with cold symptoms, according to but TikTok. But you could just take it. Right. You know what helps with cold symptoms? <laughs> I don't need sleepy chicken for NyQuil to knock me out. I've gone in 45 minutes. Now we're going to go to uh, CVS, and the chicken is going to be locked up, too, just like Tide Pods were during that whole cruise. Oh, man. I'm really glad that this story broke today, because I was buying frozen chicken to meal prep last night. And so imagine if I had gotten carded for the frozen chicken. Right. Because they thought that I was going to go do something (laughs) stupid with it, like boil it in NyQuil. Did the person at the register like look at you and silently judge you and wonder if you were going to make marinated NyQuil chicken? No, but he did kind of look like a college kid. So I feel like even if I had said, then he would have been like, that's cool. Somebody said I must be making this up. No, it's true. The FDA actually did release a statement and they said that meds that are boiled can be dangerous because they're much more concentrated and powerful and change properties. I mean, remember that time last year where the FDA had to issue a warning to people not to inject themselves with horse dewormer? Yes. Right. Because some people were using it as a COVID cure. So I'm not surprised I'm just disappointed. Speaking of the FDA, a new and improved COVID booster recently received approval from the FDA, and most people are eligible. The updated boosters include an mRNA component of the original strain to provide an immune response that is broadly protective against COVID-19, and an mRNA component in common between the Omicron variant BA4 and BA5 lineages to provide better protection against COVID-19 caused by them. So the TLDR is they, uh, they released an updated vaccine that works against the Omicron variants, Now, the Omicron variant is expected to be dominant this fall and winter, so that's why it was really important for them to release this updated booster. My question to y'all is, now that it has received FDA approval, are you planning on getting this booster, which will be our second ones, second boosters? Absolutely. I I will, too. I'm planning on doing mine in the next couple of weeks. I'm probably going to wait and do it early November, so right behind Laura. I guess I'll do this in 
the fall, maybe right before Christmas or something, I'm kind of dreading getting the booster because my side effects with the first booster. Now, I will say I got the first booster with the flu shot, same arm, you know, within a minute of each other. So maybe that's why the side effects were extra bad. But um, I'm dreading that because I had chills all night. I just felt like shit the following day. It was a rough go. So I don't really want to go through that again, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a doctor or a physician or anything like that, but I don't think it's a good idea to get your flu shot and the COVID shot at the same time because they can both have side effects that leave you feeling a little under the weather. So it seems like you're kind of doubling up when you do that. But it is a great reminder to people that uh, flu vaccines are also available for the season now. I'm planning Mm -hmm. on getting that one probably this weekend. So it has a couple of weeks before I do the COVID shot. You're going to let it marinate. That is something you want (laughs) marinating in your body. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. I need to spread them out by weeks, not minutes. But to be fair, I feel like a lot of people were doing the same thing you were doing and getting both at the same time because it is kind of a pain in the butt to have to go back and you know, get two shots. And and I'm sure that when I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I went to get my booster, they asked me if I wanted to get a flu shot. And I was like, no, thanks, lady. I already got mine. But thanks for asking. (laughs) And I understand why they're trying to get people while they're already in, right? Because a lot of people do go to their local pharmacy. Some people go to their grocery stores because those have pharmacies in them. And I can understand people are busy. So I get it why you would want to knock it out. I understand why pharmacists would be like, hey, while you're here, <laughs> you know, do you want both of these so that we can kill two, bir- two birds with one stone? But if you have flexibility on your side and you don't have to do them at the same time, you might be saving yourself some extra headache, literally. Rosalie in the Discord is saying, as a pharmacist, if you haven't received them before, I'd recommend getting them separately in case there's an allergic reaction to one of them. So that's some good advice. Yeah. Now, Laura, we need you to come clean about something. You confessed to Pam and I the other day that with your first COVID booster, you actually had more symptoms than you were letting on when you spoke about it here on Millennial last year or whenever that was. So come clean. Yeah, it's true. I'm I'm feeling so called out right now. I definitely didn't go into all of the side effects I experienced with the first booster because it felt socially irresponsible to potentially scare people into mm-hmm. not getting it. It wasn't anything bad. I was just dealing with nausea for about a day or so. And I am someone who... When I feel nausea, I tend to throw up. Not everyone's like that, but I do. So that is what I experienced. It was not fun, but it was a day and I would much rather have one shitty day than get COVID. You almost buried the lead there. You were like, I had nausea. And yeah, when I got nausea, I threw up. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I. It's a very gentle way of introducing it. Unfortunately, like, I'm the kind, like, once I feel nauseous, I'm going to throw up. Like I'll never have a nauseous bout and not throw up. I can't do it. My body's just like exercise this demon out of me. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I didn't I didn't want to scare people at the time because even just a year ago, there was still a lot more uncertainty about the vaccines. Um, That said, given my reaction to the first booster, 
I am definitely planning on getting the second booster during a weekend so I can just come home and hermit. (laughs) Hermit and hurl all weekend. (laughs) In between hurls with the first booster where you're like, damn you, Fauci! (laughs) Damn you! No, I, I was just feeling thankful that I knew this would pass and was reducing my chances of getting COVID. That's a very positive outlook. When I was shivering all night long after my booster, I was like, damn you, Fauci, damn you. <laughs> no, but of course, we encourage you boosters, even if you go through a little bit of hell. Like I said, I'll probably do it before Christmas. I, I don't know. I've made it this long in my competition against Laura. What's another two months? Andrew, are we going to make it? Are we both going to make it through 2022 <laughs> without getting COVID? Without- getting COVID. I don't know. The competition begins anew in 2023. I keep an eye on these cases and they the daily positive cases in the US continue to decline pretty rapidly. So maybe we're going to squeak out of this. There is a COVID booster quiz on the CDC's website, by the way. We'll include a link in the show notes so you can uh, take this very quick quiz to see if you are eligible for the new booster. And by the way, I just wanted to mention Biden said on 60 Minutes over the weekend that the pandemic is, quote, over, but we still have a problem with COVID. This comment receives a lot of backlash because over 400 people a day are still dying of COVID here in the United States alone. COVID is not over. I He hasn't clarified this yet, which actually surprises me. He was over in England for the Queen's funeral, so maybe that's why. But I assume what he meant when when he used the word over was that COVID restrictions in the way that we knew them are over in his mind, thanks to the vaccines. But nonetheless, it is an irresponsible remark because it does imply that you don't need to take precautions or, more importantly, that you don't need to go and get one of these brand new boosters. See, I'm mean by comparison, because if I were giving this statement, I would say, yeah, there's not a pandemic anymore. And that's because it's endemic. And we're just going to have to live with it. Because we all fucked up. And we didn't do what we were supposed to do to get it under control. So now it's just part of our regular lives, just like the flu. Congratulations, idiots. Um (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, idiots. We have a second flu. Well, We also wanted to address a bit of news that broke yesterday. So on Monday, a Baltimore judge ordered the release of Adnan Syed after overturning his conviction for the 1999 murder of his high school girlfriend, Heyman Lee. Um, Some of you may remember this case being chronicled on the hit podcast, Serial. Um, This podcast, I think, really transfixed a lot of people, but it also kind of uh, spearheaded the golden age of podcasting. I remember us talking yeah. about it at the time being like, Serial made podcasting hip again. It really did. And it was around that time that we decided to start Millennial. Um, but this is huge news because as avid, you know, followers of uh, Syed's case would say, there just wasn't substantial enough evidence to justify this life sentence that he was serving. The circuit court judge that overturned this conviction, she ruled that the state violated its legal obligation to share evidence that could have bolstered his defense. Um, He is being placed on home detention with a GPS location monitoring 
um, device, but she did also say that the state has to decide whether it wants to seek a new trial date or dismiss the case entirely within 30 days. So this is a huge moment for justice. And I think one of the things that Serial as a podcast has been criticized more and more for in more recent history is that some of these allegations around the state withholding evidence that could have bolstered his defense um, kind of went undiscussed. And I know that one of his high school classmates who went on to become a lawyer, Rabia Chowdhury, she did a whole podcast called Undisclosed where she went in to a lot of that information. So there are a lot of people now calling for Serial um, to issue some corrections to some of the misleading information that it had provided during its run. I know Sarah Koenig was supposed to release an update episode of Serial either Tuesday or today. I believe it's out now because I was listening to another podcast and I saw it pop up, so... It's out now, Mm -hmm. and in a show of just how big this story was, the show and that particular episode hit number one on the Apple Podcast charts today. So there's still a ton of interest. People were very invested in this story. And I'm glad you brought up Undisclosed Podcast, too, because that has risen. Because this is, uh, you mentioned the one lawyer, but there's two others, too, on this podcast. So that one's turned into a really big deal as well. I think they should... I mean, I think they should issue a retraction. I'm glad they did this updated episode. I haven't listened to it, so I can't pass judgment on whether it was done correctly. But given the fact that Serial is a um, is an offshoot of NPR, I believe it's an NPR show. NPR is. is a newer news organization first, so if they're being misleading, then they owe it to their audience and the credibility of their organization to make sure that they set the facts straight for everybody it's actually a new york times podcast oh, okay is not it? npr is it i thought it was yeah. npr for some serial reason. is a podcast from serial productions and new york times company oh okay i think it was originally a this american life i thought so podcast too oh, okay. when it first came out yeah well you know the times they buy everything that's hot wordle cereal yeah. right <laughs> there are people who have very strong opinions one way or the other as to whether they think he did it i kind of think it's immaterial because ultimately he did not receive an adequate defense and the evidence against him in a lot of cases was very circumstantial. So whether or not you believe he did it, the fact remains that he did not receive a fair trial and as a result should not have spent the last two plus decades in prison. I mean, he went to jail when he was like 18. He's 41 now. Ugh. So, I mean, that's the prime of his life. Yeah. Right. But he seemed, I mean, he was all smiles um, getting out. So I can just only hope that he's, you know, he and his family have time to heal together. And, and also thinking about Heyman Lee's family too. I mean, this has to be a really distraught time for them too. Obviously, I don't think anyone can speak for them and how they feel, but it has to be really, really hard. Good for him. We're happy for him. 
And uh, to some extent, happy to everybody who was so invested in Serial. I mean, what an ending for, yeah. for this story. So it, uh, it only took almost 10 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do want to point out that Roshni in our Discord is saying that um, Serial was not just incorrect when it came to evidence, but uh, called out that there were... Um, you know, things or not, this isn't specifically a critique of serial, but that there were things that were said in the trial that were really racist and themes around him being just naturally more violent because he's Muslim. So there's just a lot of layers to how poorly this case was handled by the state. And we can only hope moving forward, justice will prevail. Thanks for sharing that, Roshni. Switching gears here a little bit, I went to a concert on Sunday night. Ooh. Rather than just tell y'all who I went to see, I thought we could maybe turn it into a little game. If y'all want to guess who you think I saw. My first guess would be Green Day. Mine is My Chemical Romance. Pam, you were right. I saw oh. My Chemical Romance on Sunday. How did you know? Because they, my friend just went in Philly. And so I took a guess based on, you know, knowing that you like them too. And also that they're probably close to the East Coast. And you are too. So how was it? Was your emo heart singing? Oh, my God, it was so great. Like, I've never gotten to see them in concert before. I've been a fan for a long time since I was, you know, a teenager. And my, you know, the little emo baby child that still lives in my heart was just... Over the moon to be there. Um, We had such a great time. And I actually wanted to call out Justin in the Discord because he was looking ahead in the dock and he was like, I'm going to guess Laura saw uh, Fall Out Boy and MCR at Music Midtown in Atlanta. That's a great guess. However, Music Midtown was canceled in Atlanta this year because of our obsession with fucking guns. (laughs) Uh Uh, Because it it takes place in a, a public area and because of our stupid constitutional carry bullshit that Brian Kemp brought to us this year, there wasn't going to be a way to guarantee that is a gun-free zone. So Music Midtown was canceled, but MCR was one of the bands that decided to schedule shows here anyway at private venues so that we could actually get together. And it was very funny because during the show, Gerard Way, who's the frontman of MCR, was like, yeah, y'all, so we were supposed to be at a festival together, but guns, guns, guns. Am I right? <laughs> so that got, went, a, that got a laugh. Well, that's the title everybody. of a song, right? Isn't yeah. Guns, guns, guns. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have your studded belt? Did you pull that out? I haven't had one of those in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that you did, though. I like that you did. I kind of wish you hopped on the Zoom this morning and you were just like totally decked out in emo gear, like dark black, jet black hair. Really like and deep like... side swoop bangs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think I'd be holding on to my costume from 48 <laughs> hours ago? Yeah. You look like the Joker like, or something. My costume, my culture is not your costume. I know. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to a couple other topics today. What do you got for us, Pam? I want to talk about cursive today, not singing in cursive, which I know is big in the emo music community. Uh, But the actual practice of writing cursive and also just things that we learned in school 
I saw this article over at The Atlantic, which was written by a former president of Harvard University. Uh, They wrote this piece in which uh, they talked about how surprised they were to find out that many students today don't know how to write cursive, let alone read it. And the story of how she came to realize this was is really well written. So I highly recommend you guys checking out a link to this if you're curious. But for a little bit of context, because I was definitely curious about this after I read just, you know, the opening few paragraphs, cursive was actually omitted from the National Common Core Standards for grades K through 12 in 2010. So this means that schools in the United States aren't actually required to teach cursive under the Common Core guidelines, but that doesn't mean that they can't. So this is also very important to keep in mind, because when you hear or see headlines about, you know, like younger generations not knowing how to read or write cursive, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's been completely cut out of the curriculum because Common Core is more of like a guideline and and there are things there that you have to teach to prep your students for standardized testing, which is really kind of the name of the game. But that doesn't mean that they're completely scrapping it. So a really good example of this is that Texas, for example, added cursive back into its elementary school curriculum starting in 2019 and in 2020. Uh, Tennessee made cursive mandatory in grades two through four via bill they passed in 2014. And other states like Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, Virginia, California, Florida, and North Carolina all have similar measures. So, um, yeah, it's not necessarily that it's completely dead, but it is sort of dying depending on, you know, what state or county you're from. And I see that somebody else popped in a a nice little article here about the benefits of knowing how to write cursive or learning how to. Yeah, I found this. It's an op-ed. I'll disclose that. This is not, you know, not necessarily the gospel, but um, the op-ed writer of this New York Times opinion piece goes into just some of the tangential benefits that can come with being able to write in cursive. One of the examples that was brought up is that College Board found in recent history that students who wrote their SAT essays in cursive actually performed a little bit higher than the ones who didn't. And it's thought that the fluidity of writing in cursive allowed students to focus more on the thoughts they were trying to get out on paper, as opposed to focusing on the actual writing itself. So that's one thought. But there are also a ton of studies out there that show very positive links between learning cursive and learning comprehension in general. So uh, I think it's complicated. I don't know that I, some people in education would have you believe that not teaching cursive is like stunting kids academically. And I don't know if I think that's true, but I think that there is a place for it. It just seems, okay, those are very good points that are brought up in the op-ed. And there's another quote in here. Um, The writer says, the emphasis should be on simplicity and function when teaching children cursive. It doesn't have to be on being fancy with slants and loops and curls. Because like, if you look at some more extreme forms of cursive, it is pretty tough to read if you haven't studied cursive in a while. I guess I I struggle to see the benefits of cursive when it does feel like we are writing 
less and less. I understand the benefits that were just mentioned, but why teach students, you know, regular handwriting and cursive and typing? I think that's what we all went through here. I remember learning all three, including typing. Thanks, Mavis Beacon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Typing seems way more important right now. And just getting started with normal handwriting. And to that point, uh, that's basically what uh, all of this boils down to is that it's not necessarily that all schools have scrapped cursive. It's just that they're reconfiguring how much time they spend on it. I'm sure that all of us probably remember, probably spent like hours and hours and hours just having to like write the same letter over again or the same combination of letters over again and doing that for multiple years in a row, not just for like a segment in school. How often do you two put pen to paper? Well, I journal and I also, I keep a a paper planner. Okay. I do the paper planner. That's like my big thing that I do on a daily basis, but that's it. When I start, I used to write a bunch of checks. I don't do that anymore. But when I did, my hand started like freaking out. If I do any more than write stuff down on this planner, my hand starts like immediately cramping and getting shaky. It's just you're so out of practice. Yeah, and that's not something I'm necessarily proud of. But we just have so little reason to write anymore. I'm so glad to hear that I'm not the only one whose hand gets fatigued really no. easily if I start it's like, writing. What are you doing to me? Ew! <laughs> like writing the letters. Like even though I write fairly regularly, but like a couple of years ago when we did the handwritten letters. And to be fair, kind of, I kind of went a little extra and like wrote probably more than I needed to. But like my (laughs) hand was cramping up. I was doing them in like five letter increments. And I don't have that callus anymore. I don't know if you all had like a writing callus on one of your fingers. Mine's on my ring finger on my right side. I don't have that anymore to cushion the pen. (laughs) Oh, man. I didn't even realize that. But you're totally right. I don't have it anymore. I'm like rubbing the space where it used to be. And I can still kind of feel it. But it's definitely not as prominent as it was. I somehow grew up writing with three fingers on one side of the pen or pencil and then my thumb on the other, which is not the way they teach you. My teachers freaking hated it. But I just got this is just how I got used to writing and I couldn't do it any other way. My brother does the same thing. And I always used to give him shit. I was like, why do you write so weird? <laughs> yeah, my teachers would too. And then like to this day, I'm still insecure when I write like this because I know it's not how you're supposed to hold a pen. Eh, fuck it. Like supposed to, who cares? <laughs> well, when you're getting made fun of, you too. <laughs> yeah, of course you care when you're younger. But now, hopefully. This is why I became a computer nerd. I was like, I'll show them. I won't even <laughs> use a pen or pencil. <laughs> They'll see. They'll all see. <laughs> when we do find ourselves writing, do we use cursive at all anymore? For a signature, like on a check. But that's it. When we like sign stuff for the show, I don't do a traditional cursive signature. I do normal handwriting. Is there a word I should How be How about using? when you're writing your to-do lists? Do you just do print? Oh, yeah. I'm not writing. Maybe next week just for fun or the rest of the week, I'll do cursive. Here oh, yeah. Put it up on the page. Yeah, I want to so see your, can see your handwriting. It's going to go so badly. <laughs> I do this like weird hybrid cursive print thing because some letters are just easier to produce in, in cursive yeah like, i think of l's for example and some e- some are easier to print like r's they never look yeah. right in cursive so 
Exactly. Yeah, I print so I do like a mix of the two. I do too. I think for me, I feel like I'm faster if I'm just if I don't have to like lift the pen every time I'm writing a letter. Well, that is a big benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like I know that for some people it's hard to read. Like I, I think that like Andrew, sometimes you have trouble reading my handwriting. I feel like you've told me this before. I'm trying to think of the last time I read your handwriting. Though. <laughs> I'll told, send you a sample. I, I mean, when I sneak into your bedroom and open up your diary, but I normally don't tell you that I'm doing that. Right, exactly. You read all my deepest, darkest thoughts or part of them because I guess you can't read all of them. So saving grace. <laughs> That's how Bab keeps me out. She sticks with cursive. <laughs> I just wrote um, the word edit. I tried to write it in cursive because I write that a lot on my little to-do list here. And I don't know how to do a capital E in cursive. So it's like a backwards like... three. Well, I just kept my pen down and traced an E. <laughs> that's my cursive <laughs> E. The rest looks all right, though. Well, cursive isn't the only thing that's changed uh, since we were in grade school Math is also completely different now. I don't know about you all, but I look at Common Core math now and I cannot make heads or tails of it. But supposedly it's way easier to uh, for kids to understand, which I'm all for because I always had a really big problem with math. It was really hard for me to to understand easily my worst subjects. So anything that makes it easier for the kids is fine with me, even if I don't know what's going on. I've seen the new long division, and I'm just vexed by it. I don't understand how it works. Um, But they're getting to the right answers. So I guess they're doing something right. Um, But yeah, I feel like if there were a child in my life who came to me asking for help with math homework, I would be like, one, like, come to me with like your English homework, your Spanish homework, like your humanities, like I got you. Math, not my strong suit. But it would be made even more difficult with these new flows that they're using. Yeah. And that makes being a parent all the more terrifying, as if you didn't have enough reasons. (laughs) Because I just remember asking for my asking my parents for help when I was in elementary school or middle school. And they would do their best, but it probably, come to think of it, wasn't the same way that they were taught division or multiplication growing up. I did look at new math in in preparation for today's show, and there's this new friendly numbers method, yeah, which initially scared me, but when I was reading the description, I was like, oh, I do this sometimes just because it is easier. So quoting an example from parents.com, say you want to add two digit numbers. The old school way millennial parents were taught involved putting one on top of the other and carrying if necessary. Now students are encouraged to rethink how they arrange the numbers. There's an example, 41 plus 29. You could rewrite 29 as 30, which is a rounder friendly number. Then you turn 41 into 40. (laughs) Okay, I I definitely do that sometimes, too. I feel like this is all a ploy to make math more exciting for kids, because math is like hardly anybody's favorite subject, right? There are some people that really like math, but yeah, I mean, if I was growing up and they were telling me that like there are numbers that are friendlier and therefore easier to work with, I would have been like, well, maybe math isn't so bad. But I think if I was a math teacher and I had a hot math teacher in uh, middle school who I I still dream about, he was a surfer. If, If I was that math teacher, I would be like, 
well, fuck this, because these aren't the numbers I'm trying to get the students to add. This is the wrong math. So this would really bother me, actually, if I was being encouraged to teach it this way. Yeah. It's a cheat. It feels like a cheat. But I guess that's all schooling. It's just like you learn cheats. Well, you bring up a good point that, you know, I'm sure we've said this before on the show. It's hard to be a teacher and having to keep up with all of this, uh, especially you know, with probably like grade school where there are changes that are made so often, like imagine you're a, a bit on the older side and all of a sudden you have to learn this entirely new method that maybe you're not familiar with. And I applaud them for pivoting and I know they have to pivot often. Chloe said I talk about this math teacher all the time. I think I need to get over him already. I, <laughs> I mean, it's been like 20 years for God's sake. Move on, Andrew. Listen, if it makes you feel better, I also had a hot math teacher, and he is the only reason why I finally passed the math requirement at university. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I tried to take math three different times, and I it it didn't stick, so I kept dropping the class, and then I I signed up for this elementary statistics class, and this guy walks in. I was like, okay, well, maybe I can hang out this semester. (laughs) You know what it is for me? I need closure. I haven't seen this guy in like 20 years. I need to know what <laughs> he think, looks like now. You know, you know? What? I think we have to Google him for the sake of the show because I now know. I want to see your hot math teacher too. Is he still on Facebook or anything? Can you find him? I don't him? know his name anymore. More. I can just picture him. That's all. <laughs> you don't remember your teacher crush? He was like seventh grade. Do you have a seventh grade yearbook? Oh, yeah. I need to find okay. the yearbook. All right. That's the strategy. Perfect. Good idea. Okay, I'll I'll look into that later. I'll ask my mom. Hey, <laughs> no reason or anything, but uh, do we still have my middle school yearbook or anything? Can you like just that? send a picture of the faculty pages. <laughs> get if you see any curly haired blonde math teachers, get, get extra close <laughs> to him. Use that macro mode on iPhone. Extreme close up. We've all been there. And looking back on it, is there anything that was in our school curriculum that we feel like? Our school spent way too much time on. I feel like I I vaguely remember feeling this way about cursive, but also just math in general, because we had really great calculators, you know, this TI-84s <laughs> doing all the complicated math equations and or just thinking about like geometry, like a more specific type of math. I would have to echo the sentiments about calculators. I sh- I'm sure we all remember being told numerous times, you have to learn how to figure this out on your own. You have to work the math out because you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket everywhere you go. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what we have? Right. Yeah. We have literal computers in our pockets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of like the, emph- the emphasis on memorizing formulas, too, is kind of ridiculous because mm-hmm. you could have all the formulas it written down but if you don't know how to use them or which ones you need to use then that's probably 10 times worse than not knowing like the quadratic formula from memory i think in general the emphasis on memorization and this isn't just in math but i think in most classes It has its place, but if your approach is just to memorize everything, that calls into question for me how much you're actually learning. Yeah, that's a good point. Because that doesn't necessarily compute to an understanding. 
Right. On the on the flip side of this, and this is the last question I have for this segment. Um, is there anything that wasn't emphasized enough that we wish we had spent more time on in school? Because for me, I know the answer to that is grammar in general. I don't think I really learned proper grammar until maybe like last year of high school, first year of college. I agree. I remember were we talking about this in After Dark, sex ed. Mm, there is yeah. not enough mm-hmm. talk Always. there. That's the big one that jumps out to me. But just any, and I, you know, we touch on this from time to time, just like life classes, balancing a checkbook, really needed to do that back in the day. Yeah, I went to the school of Mama G for that because my mom was a banker. So. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I was really lucky that I got to take a personal finance course when I was in high school, but that's not something that's typically offered in a lot of public school settings. And yeah, I benefited a lot from that. There are still skills that I use from that course to this day. We had that too. It was a uh, government and economics, but the my teacher was very smart. She was like, honestly, like, if you all can test out of governments, then we can just spend more time on everything else. And I think that that was the right way to do it because the government stuff is stuff that we've, we had been being taught for years and years and years. So we ended up just doing that. And it was the smartest choice probably she made. In our high school, we did have a home economics classroom, but I never took that class. And I always kind of saw it as a joke. Like, why do I need to learn cooking? Why do I need to learn nutrition? interior design it didn't make sense to to learn in a school at the time but now i'm like damn i wish that that was a required class yeah and i think i mean taking it a step further like even basic first aid i know sometimes certain health classes will teach that like Mm -hmm. i remember i was in a health class where we learned how to do cpr for example like there are just some some basic like life and survival skills that I think (laughs) kind of are lacking sometimes in the public school system, usually because those programs get defunded. Yeah, we did take a we did take a first aid class and everybody got CPR certified. And and then you could like you had the option to get baby like certified for uh, baby first aid, which is really it was attractive because if you wanted to be like a babysitter or like work at a summer camp or something, then you could say I'm CPR certified for adult and children and also baby first aid. Um, But the only reason that we did that is because we had a swimming class. So my high school second year, sophomore year, it was half the year of PE was swimming and then the other half was first aid and like general health. Yeah, I think that you're right. Like any kind of like skill like that that could potentially help you out because I still use stuff from that. Like I've makeshifted splints before. I at least know that you're not supposed to put like ice on burns. If somebody's choking, I will save you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be ready. So, yeah. Oh, the CPR is great. I don't think we had to yeah. learn you CPR. You could still like you could sign up. The course is really short and I don't think it's that expensive yeah. to get CPR certified, but um also like for baby first aid too just cuz like you're an uncle now, you never know if that'll come in useful. Although I'm sure your sister probably knows cuz she's a I am a godfather too. Yeah, I see? should be prepared. Go learn child CPR. That's even easier than adult CPR cuz you know, tiny bodies. Right, right. (laughs) One little push, it'll come right out. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, on kind of a a related note of, you know, growing up, 
and discovering things about ourselves that we weren't previously privy to. We got a really interesting confessional that talks about sexual fluidity as you age. And I thought we could chat about this in some of our own experiences. We also got some submissions from patrons who have had similar awakenings, but I'll go ahead and read the confessional. Uh, The confessional writer says, uh, I, 28 female, ADHD, she, her pronouns, think I might have a crush on another woman. Let's call her Stacy. I have always thought I was straight. At first, I thought I just really admired Stacy and wanted to be like her, but I started getting butterflies when I would get a text from her, really wanting her to laugh at my jokes, and basically having a lot of the same feelings as when I have a crush on a man. However, I don't feel sexual attraction to her. I've also realized that I seem to have a type with a woman I really admire. They're all older and smarter than me, are really good at neurotypical social norms, and seem cool, but not in an annoying high school cool girl kind of way. Stacy is straight, by the way. How do I tell if this is an actual crush or just admiration? My first reaction is I'm wondering if you're normally sexually attracted to men. Perhaps you just are really excited to have met a girl you feel like you connect with on a deep level. If there's nothing sexual there, but you do have sexual feelings towards men, maybe you're just like, damn, this person fucking rocks. It's best friend, friend for life kind of feelings that you're getting from this person. Yeah, it's possible. I think there can be such a fine line. I don't know if this is the right thing to say. I think sometimes with women, the the line between admiration and a crush, I think, can be kind of blurry. I don't know if anyone else, like Pam, I don't know if you feel that way or Discord if you feel that way, but I think sometimes it can be a little bit tricky to work out. But it could be, just like Andrew said, it could be that you're just really excited to have another woman who can act as a friend and sounds like maybe a mentor to you. It could be that you're attracted to her. And attraction doesn't necessarily always mean sexual attraction. Yeah. Um, Like, I think that you can be into somebody without wanting to jump their bones. Yeah, I totally get what you mean, especially because I think just in general, society has normalized as much as they normalize pitting women against each other. It's also very common and normal for women to compliment each other. And so as a result, I think that we are oftentimes uh, more allowed to behold beauty in a way that uh, men aren't traditionally allowed to in society. And a really good example of this is like the drunk girl in the bathroom. So it's like no big deal if you go up to somebody in a bathroom at a club to be like, oh my God, like if I saw Laura in the club bathroom, it would not she wouldn't even bat an eye if I said, oh, my God, I love your hair so much. Like, I just think you're you are stunning. You are beautiful. You know, like, man. And it, it wouldn't even like come across as me hitting on you it would just be like, oh, like, thank you. That's so sweet. Like, yeah, you know, and then she would be like, I love your dress. And it's like a, it's like a big circle jerk in the bathroom. Yeah. Whereas I, if I did that in like a normal bar, not a gay bar. The guy would be like, gay. Right. 
stop hitting on me. That's unfortunate. Exactly. But I think that like even without the alcohol or or like any drugs in your system, it's also very normal to again appreciate beauty in whatever form it comes in. And so I think that that is why sometimes, like you said, there's kind of like this fine line between like a sexual attraction and just like an admiration for somebody. Yeah. Like I am very comfortable if I see a woman who I think is just like a bombshell, she's hot. I have no problem saying that, but I recognize for men, especially cis straight men, it's a different set of rules that they feel are applied to them and what they can say and who they can be attracted to. I don't feel boxed in in that way, <laughs> fortunately. Andrew, I'm wondering if I can put you in the hot seat here and ask if you've ever been attracted to someone who is a different gender from your sexual orientation. Have you ever been attracted to a woman? Sexually attracted? Probably not. Though I will say I, I've kind of gotten close when sometimes as a gay guy, you'll see a person from a distance and you might think that that person is a guy, maybe because of the haircut, maybe because of the shape of their body, maybe because of what they're wearing. And sometimes I will see that person and be like, oh, that person is attractive to me. And then I get closer and I realize that they're not a man. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sexually attractive. Attracted. Am I still attracted to them? Yeah. Am I suddenly thinking they're ugly? No, of course. <laughs> but I, I've noticed I've caught myself doing that plenty of times. Sorry if that annoys anybody, but that's just what goes on in my brain. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're comfortable with it, right? Like, yeah. do you feel open and free that if you were to approach that person more closely and see like, oh, they're not a man, but I'm still super into this person, would you feel comfortable with that? I think that's the question. Into them how? I mean, any base level of attraction doesn't have to be sexual. I'll still look at them and be like, yeah, that's a good looking person, in my opinion. But I, I, the attraction will be very different. And I'm a proud gold star gay, by the way. And I intend to keep it that way. Got to maintain that status. <laughs> yeah, I, I can jump in here and talk about my experience. So I'll preface this by saying... I don't know, anyone who's listened to us for this long, kudos to you. Um, back in season one, episode 29, um, <laughs> we talked about our Kinsey scale scores, um, which is, it's an assessment you can take that kind of helps to define your levels of attraction um, to different genders. The Kinsey scale is like a one to a five, or is it a zero to five? Don't remember off the top of my head. But um, I scored a two on the Kinsey scale at the time, which is predominantly heterosexual, um, but more than incidentally homosexual. And I will say years later, I still get a two when I take this assessment. It's interesting because like I think back on scenarios in my life and I wonder, I'm like, did I have a crush on her? And I just didn't realize it at the time like there's a very vivid memory from my childhood where I was friends with this girl and I think I had like a childhood crush on her 
I like talked about her all the time and always wanted to hang out. And I also got like jittery when she wanted to hang out with me. And I was like, oh, my God, how did I get so lucky that this really cool person wants to hang out with me? And as a child, you don't think anything of that or assign anything to it. But I'm like, I think I had a little crush on her. (laughs) Maybe, Mm. you know, like the kind of crush that an eight-year-old has, right? Um, But all of that is to say, you know, all of my relationships have been straight. And I still identify as straight because that's my only experience. But I'm also really comfortable embracing being a two <laughs> yeah if that makes especially sense these like, days. and most people i've actually never taken a kinsey scale test but now i'm kind of curious maybe i'll do that after the show but yeah like, most people don't score like really high one way or the other and isn't the whole point of this test just to show that um sexuality is fluid and yeah you know this is kind of where you get the whole like everyone's a little bit gay thing even though that's probably a very problematic language but right yeah i think the point is is that everybody should be comfortable in their sexuality regardless of how you identify and it shouldn't weird you out to be like that's an attractive lady if you're also a lady or like that's an attractive dude if you're a dude you know it doesn't make you any less of what you are yeah, I actually feel like it's it's good in in my relationship because um, Mark actually took um, the Kinsey assessment with me because we were just curious. And I'm not going to speak for him or his experience, but I feel like, I don't know, as a couple, like having done that together and talking about each other's scores together, I don't know, it just feels like we know more about each other at this point. And we just get to have really open conversations. Like if I see somebody that I think is like very, very attractive, I feel I feel totally comfortable saying that. Yeah. Right. So it's it's actually been a good thing for my relationship. Well, I thought we could get into some responses from our patrons. We asked our patrons if they've ever experienced this before over at patreon.com slash millennial. And I'll kick it off here with Kiana, who says, I don't know what it is, but I had a mad crush on Eloise Latassier of Christine and the Queens for a while, who I just also learned now uses he, him pronouns. Uh, I currently have a mild crush on Jessie May Lee, uh, which developed after she cut her hair over the summer. I'd say I'm like 90% straight, but if you've got a jawline that can cut glass and a hairstyle that shows it off, I'll probably fall in love with you. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I the only other example, and I may have brought this up on the show a while ago, <laughs> I have a Peloton bike. One of the nice things about the Pelotons are the instructors. They they do a really good job of casting the right instructors. And there's this one, Emma Lovewell. And when she stares into the camera at you during a workout, I feel things for her. Like that's, she's turning me on in that moment when she's making me push harder. <laughs> that's the closest I've gotten to being bi or straight, <laughs> I think. This next one is from Sarah. In my early college years, I made out with a lot of women, even though I considered myself straight. 
A couple years later, I made an offhand comment to a friend about my attraction to celebrities being bisexual, and she asked if I ever considered I was bisexual. And truth is, I hadn't. I didn't realize you could like the same gender until middle school, and even then, it felt like everyone was only attracted to one gender. I currently identify as bisexual, but I'm exploring that I might be biromantic and asexual. Biromantic is not a term that I've heard a lot, so I did look into it a little more today, and that's when you can be attracted to two genders, but you aren't necessarily sexually attracted to both of them. So getting back to the original confessional writer, I would explore if you might be biromantic. Based on what you've said to us so far, it seems like you fit in the description of somebody who is biromantic. Jemima says, I only dated women up until I was about 27. Then I met this random guy in a club when I was overseas and we made out. I was really surprised by how attracted I was to him because I'd never felt anything for men before. I was like, huh, that's interesting, and filed it away for future reference. Then three months later, when COVID came along and I had a whole year sitting around to think about myself, lol, I came to the conclusion that perhaps I am bisexual. I changed my settings on Tinder just to see what it was like to date guys, then ended up meeting the love of my life, who's a man, a few months later. That's a beautiful story. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Nicole, to wrap us up here, Nicole says, uh, I, uh, a cis woman, had always identified as straight. But when my best friend, who is also a cis woman, came out as bi a few years ago, it made me question my own orientation. I am happily married to a cis man. So at the time, I thought it didn't really matter how I identified since I didn't want to change our relationship. And I pushed those feelings back down. I later decided to claim it and come out to my husband and then my friend as bi, even though I wasn't sure if the label fit. Um, I had the classic thoughts of wondering if I was bi enough and I didn't want to take up space when I was in a hetero-facing relationship. Um, But I later came to realize how affirming it is to acknowledge that piece of myself and give myself permission to feel however I want to feel without making up excuses for why I might be attracted to women. I feel much more vibrant and alive now, and my relationship with my husband is as strong as ever. That's amazing. That's beautiful, too. All of these stories are just gorgeous. Yeah, when you get something off your chest like that in a relationship, it can be a huge relief. And then you finally feel like you're living your true self. And that just does nothing but improve your relationship. Well, it can really improve your relationship. Cool. Thanks to the four of you, plus the confessional writer who shared that story. So to wrap up today's episode, wanted to do a quick what we're calling Spicy Biden Watch. Maybe also Dark Brandon Watch is a good alternate title for this. So a couple things on my radar. Dark Brandon helped avert a major railroad strike last week. A tentative agreement was reached on Thursday between rail companies and their workers with the Biden administration working to help come to a deal. A railroad strike would have been a big deal. That would have just had major economic consequences, given that we use trains to transport a lot of goods in this country and around the world, of course. It could have caused further inflation and certainly supply chain shortages. And God knows we've had enough of that this year. So it would have been really terrible news for 
the everyday American, and it just would have been terrible news for the midterms. So Biden really is taking credit here, and I'm inclined to believe the administration because from what I've been reading, his administration was working really hard behind the scenes helping with negotiations. Good job, Dark Brandon. We're proud of you. Fox News really didn't know what to do with this development. I think they were expecting the strike to go through. Yes. I saw a really good tweet on that. Fox News is funny this morning because they clearly had a ton of programming centered around Biden's failure to prevent a railroad strike. But then this morning, Biden prevented the railroad strike. So now they are talking about the pudding served in Amtrak cafe cars. (laughs) They got to have something to fear monger over. I also wanted to point out this has been a few weeks at this point. We just haven't gotten a chance to acknowledge it. But Biden had a pretty fiery speech a few weeks ago in which he referred to MAGAs as fascists. And this was definitely a pearl clutching moment for Trump supporters and Republicans alike who um, don't want to admit the affiliation with, you know, between Trump and fascism. MAGA and fascism. Um, So I I appreciated it. I was like, yes, we need more of this. Let's get more spicy Biden, more dark Brandon Biden. I'm all about it. In brighter news, today, the day we're recording, is actually National Voter Registration Day. I normally hate days like these that are, you know, people just decide and uh, proclaim with like no authority. But this is a good one. Voter registration deadlines are approaching. So go to vote.gov to learn about the deadlines in your state. Before we get to some recommendations, just wanted to plug our Patreon at patreon.com slash millennial. Don't miss last week's hype suck where Pam and I were dropping the hot goss on the old entertainment site we were a part of called Hypeable. We shared a few big stories and uh, kind of a therapy session of sorts at times. So definitely check that out. And we'll do another Hyposuck in the future. And by the way, we should be announcing the 2022 physical gift for Bay patrons in another week or two. I'm so excited. Oh my it's God, y'all. almost finalized. It's so good. I got a new preview today. I needed you to did? text y'all. Yeah, it looks good. I was good. wondering about that. Oh, I'm so Our excited Our hopes to and see dreams it. were uh, fulfilled. <laughs> if you want to be eligible for this gift, and maybe you don't want to pledge just yet because you don't even know what it is, and that's understandable, but maybe if you want to get a jump on things now, you can become a Bay-level patron at patreon.com slash millennial right now, and you get access to everything we have available on the Patreon. There's lots of benefits, so do take a moment to check them all out. We could not do this without your support on Patreon. Your support on Patreon offers us the financial stability we need to run this show because ads are unpredictable and uh, often frustrating. So thanks, everybody, for your support. Okay, time for some recommendations. I want to recommend a new show on FX, The Patient. It stars Steve Carell and Dom Hall Gleason. Steve Carell plays a therapist who is kidnapped by one of his patients, Dom Hall. This patient is a serial killer. It's a half-hour drama, which is pretty unique, so it doesn't get stretched out annoyingly. They're they're very uh, quick episodes. And here's something about this show that I'm like, <laughs> kind of shaking me to my core. The serial killer loves Dunkin' Donuts hot coffee, size extra large. <laughs> That's my order at Dunkin'. 
extra large wow. hot coffee. He's <laughs> always holding an extra large hot Dunkin' Donuts cup. Wow, Andrew. <laughs> is it feeling a little close to home? Well, I'm like, shit, does this mean I'm a serial killer? Why is he always <laughs> holding? I feel like this is going to come into play at some point. I'm waiting for the therapist to say, why are you always holding a hot coffee? I feel like Steve Carell is going to be like, dude, let go of the coffee and you'll stop having a desire to kill people. Is he using a <laughs> coffee sleeve or is he just like barehanding it? No, because we Dunkin' customers, uh, we don't get coffee sleeves like oh. you do at Starbucks. But you yeah, can there's... still comfortably hold your cup, right? Or is part you of can. it that you need to suffer for, for the drink? Oh, so you're saying his hand's getting so hot and it's like stressing him out and then he wants to kill people? Yeah, if he was just holding a hot cup of coffee without batting an eyelash, I might also, you know, start putting two and two together, but... It is cracking me up. That and... Well, I won't spoil it, but it's cracking me up how much they they, they feature that damn coffee. It's got to play into the storyline at some point. <laughs> Or else I'm going to be really disappointed. Or Duncan's just as an advertiser. <laughs> oh, man, I hope it's not Spending just that. Spending all that money to have a prominent part in the show. Steve Carell is above that. He's a sophisticated actor these days. He wouldn't go for that cheap-ass product placement. So anyway, check out that show, The Patient. It's really good. Well, speaking of cheap-ass product placement, um, I wanted to recommend maybe a, a more basic item to have in your household, apple cider vinegar. Um, I don't know if any of y'all use this with any kind of regularity. I really like this stuff because you can cook with it, like you can clean with it, and it's a natural thing that you can use. I personally really like using it to, um, you know, pour down the drain in the kitchen or in the bathroom because it helps it feel a little more fresh. You know, sometimes your drain can start to smell a little bit after a while if you haven't um, run a cleaning cycle or anything on it. And this is just an easy way to give it a refresh. Um, like I said, you can also ingest it if that's something you want to do. Some people believe that it has health benefits to uh, take. So, you know, if you think that might be of interest to you, you can definitely look that up. I don't want to give any kind of like medical health advice here, but I really do like it for cleaning and you can get um, pretty big quantities of it for cheap at Costco. So if you have a Costco membership, you can get one of those big like three packs of apple cider vinegar and it doesn't go bad. So you'll have it around for as long as you need it. And I wanted to recommend Sally Hansen's Dry and Go Drops for any of you out there who like to paint your nails at home like I do. These are so nifty. Definitely works best if you do thin coats like you're supposed to. But I'm also guilty of doing thicker coats of nail polish. So I don't blame you if that's you as well. Um, but yeah, these are really great. You just wait like 60 seconds after you put your top coat on and then you do one or two drops of these on each nail and... Um, your nails will definitely be dry to the touch in about like five minutes after this. I would still be a little bit careful, like don't go doing extreme activities with your nails, but it is going to cut down the drying time overall. Uh, so it's a nice little sense of security. And, and if you're impatient for your nails to dry, then this might be a good alternative for you to try out as well. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. Make sure you follow the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We release new installments every Wednesday. 
and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We really appreciate those. If you have any feedback, you can write to us by sending an email to millennialshow at gmail.com, or you can go to millennialshow.com and find a contact form or the anonymous confessional. And last but definitely not least, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. You get show highlights and other memes and coverage about millennials that we're, we're seeing online throughout the week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.